It's noon. It's high noon, everybody. It is time for CPCL Choose Poetry, Choose Life. We're still doing it two years after the start of the pandemic. We've been doing this for two years now, I believe. And that's exciting. And we're still doing it on Zoom. I get to talk to Aaron Gannon all the way over there in Glasgow, Scotland. We've got Holly Shaw. That's the wrong name. Not Shaw. Holly Jackson. I know oh, there's a comedian named Holly Shaw. And uh, we're, she's going to be our, they're going to be our feature today. I'm super excited. And we're going to plug it in and uh, we'll get started in a little bit. Thanks for listening to MutinyRadio.fm and .sf. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. And Andy's not going to be with us tonight, Andy Talbot, because he's do- doing photography for Gary Newton, the Cars song. In Cars. Remember that? He's, anyways, cool. He has a backstage pass. I wonder how old that guy is. All right, uh, we're going to plug it in, listen to some tunes here, and we'll be right back. Dibbity dupes. That's up. Yay! I can hear you. There we go. Hey. Okay. So, Pam's hung over. I'm sick. Andy's backstage at a Gary Newman concert taking pictures. I don't know what's up with that. Like, well, I came down with COVID. So, there you go. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Nightmare. How do you feel? Are you okay? Yeah, not too bad. It's just you know, kind of a kind of a head cold kind of uh, um, symptoms. But I had one of the home tests and I came back positive. So there you go. Oh no! But you tested because you weren't feeling well. Yeah, I was gonna go someplace, and I thought, ah, well, I didn't think I was gonna anything, but I tested it and I came back positive. So there you go. Bummer. Yeah. I feel like all the symptoms are there, but I've tested three times and it's all they've always it's like all negative. Yeah. It took me about a week to test positive. I I'm certain that I had it for about a week, but I was still testing negative and then huh. only actually tested positive for about three days and then it was back to negative again. But I was like, and I can't get I any more. Ill. I can't hmm? get tests. Like I no. went to the drugstore and they wouldn't give me any more tests. So I don't know what they went. You can you can order them online. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the ones I ordered online were free, but I don't know if they still do that now. Right. Unless, wow. unless, unless you're certain categories of clinically vulnerable, your issues. Oh yeah, by, I, my I dad's am. been so issued by the hospital, but if he has to go in because he'd have to that flow before he goes, right? Because he's vulnerable. Um, 
I, I will just remind you that other viruses are available and our immune systems are going batshit because we haven't had anything for two years. I was ill for two weeks over Easter, tested negative the entire time. There that was, there was so a bank of about a week in the middle where I didn't test at all because I was so ill. Nothing was happening. I just went to bed. I, just, <laughs> I didn't have the energy to do anything else. I lost a week of work and, and stuff. So It, it makes yeah, sense that our it. bodies, our bodies haven't like... Yeah. I, They're I, like, oh, you've got bugs now. We have to do uh, things. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I had like some sort of pretty unpleasant flu, but I really wasn't well at all. Did anyone read the well, study? Uh, to keep the fever down, I'm hopped up on Paris on a Cocodamol. So there we are. Sugar and ibuprofen, baby. <laughs> uh, there, there was a. I once did a whole shift at work like that. <laughs> Not to be left out, I'm on coding because I've been off work with a bad back today. <laughs> so here we are! Bunch of crocs. <laughs> Have you ever heard that song? Um, oh, 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 Donovan has a really great song called Codeine. It's pretty good, actually. Anyways, I think it might be a cover of an old blues tune. But... It's, not, it's, not, it's not covering claps of cocaine. <laughs> no, no, there's are absolute songs. <laughs> They're absolutely. There are a lot of old blues songs about cocaine, actually, and um, one of them is called "Toothache Blues," and it's like, it not only talks about cocaine, but it's like, but it's got a heavy, heavy, heavy like, um, double on sexual double entendre to it. Maybe like one day. Really, you do surprise me. Cocaine is an cocaine's an analgesic. You know, it's in the cane family. Novocaine, lidocaine. Lidocaine. Yeah, it's exactly. all the it's in the same. So it was originally used as an analgesic, and then it was, uh, and they used it for tooth things and all of that. And then Freud was the one who was like, you know what, this is good for everything else. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that to to a friend the other day. I don't know how. I can't remember how we got to talking about Freud. Oh yeah, turn of the century in a scientific innovation. But I was just saying, I always remember that like Robin Williams line from. Uh, Goodwill hunting. And, you know, class is dismissed, but next week we'll be talking about Freud and why he did enough cocaine to kill a small horse. I haven't seen that movie in forever. Um, okay, well, so I have, I've got, this, if we're up for a crisis, that's a crisis for us to start also. Um, still have a Now that song is in my head. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So I say let's take, what, like six minutes for this? We have we have closed captioning today, which has never happened to me before, and I love it. <laughs> you know, I like watching the screen. It's tr it's a photo. trip. How come the music isn't playing? Play music, play. <laughs>
San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank relies on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food. Mutiny Radio listeners, uh, while we are doing our crisis, which is basing a poem off of a piece of art, in this case, it is a photograph. Oh, I'm going to play some flat black plastic for you. As a ship and crack Where secrets lie In the board of fires In the humming wires Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back Across the square, across the bridge Across the mills, past the stacks On a gathering storm Comes a tall, handsome man In a dusty black coat With a red right hand
And we're back. That was our first egg crisis. By the way, hi, Finn. It's oh, right. it's funny with the captions because it doesn't know the word ekphrasis. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it's great. It's it keeps trying to, new say? words, and it's very funny. Ekphrasis. Ek <laughs> it's kind of getting it. Ekphrasis. Act phrases. That's X kind of phrases. Funny. It's great. It's trying. It's learning. Yeah. It's 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 the AI. It's the new poetry AI. <laughs> Anybody come up with anything they want to share? I know. I'm like... I have something, but it's depressing. Well, since we're all hopped up on since you're all hopped up on goofballs, that's fun. Uh, okay, it's uh, trigger warning. It's depressing. Uh, fill my pockets with rocks, and let's go on the longest walk. How far is the sea? Ankle deep. Please don't watch my slow descent. Horizon boundless. This ship will disappear. Where are you now, brilliant sun? 
and this the heaviest burden. Yes, dear child, you can stare at the moon. I just thought about Ed Sirs. I watched this movie the other day where the and the lady filled her pockets with rocks and just walked into the ocean, and that was it. And I was like, "What?" Uh, wasn't that uh, what? Wasn't that what's your name? The author? Um, Virginia Woolf movie. Exactly. Yeah. Well, is it Newman who plays her? Maybe that must have been it. That was the there was the image in my head of this, you know. Yeah, I saw I saw that when it came out. There's only 10 of them. Holly, do you want to go? Well, I mean, it's nowhere near as good as Pam's. Oh, stop it. Um, <laughs> uh, mine sort of turned into a little bit of a short story. Um, and it, yeah, trigger warning, it's really depressing. Okay. Um, it was a gray day. The sky was gray. The sea was gray. Even the sand beneath his feet seemed gray. The dog seemed to limp ahead. He was grey too. His fur in grey patches like old man whiskers. He kept his head down. Even the seagulls that landed nearby and flapped at each other didn't seem to raise his attention. Maybe he knew somehow. This grey walk on this grey beach would be his last. That was fantastic. <laughs> Well, I'll go ahead if, if you want. Um, low tide, rubber soled shoes, pumping seawater into my socks, seal sniffing steak, cooking on hibachi, dead jellyfish like used condoms, my California beach town where I scattered dad's ashes in the blue green Pacific. Sushi place that closed when the food ran out, craft beer and pizza. Jellyfish condoms, very nice. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, they kind of sting if you ever tried them. I don't know. Ha ha! Beth, do you want me to read yours out loud or do you want it just to sit there? Wait a minute. Sorry, my screen's being weird. Well, that's okay. Um, I, I'll read it if you want. It's okay. It's up to you. Okay. Started off with a line from something else because I couldn't get it out of my head. I thought, well, I'll just go with that and see what happens afterwards. Rocking, rolling, riding out along the bay. Call out your name after you that you're too far away. Sand and wet sunlight. What looks like a horizon grows taller with every step I take. My footprints sink and rise, each scent has its own tide. Between there is no place to stay. We all got a bit morose. Wow, we're all woo. <laughs> this Wednesday. <laughs> so Aaron has stepped up, has left the building evidently. I think she's gone to let the cat in. <laughs> Uh, I put it in the chat. I thought I heard him meowing outside. Sometimes the neighbors leave the back door open, and then because of that, he won't come up. He doesn't come up the ladder, and then he'll be meowing at the front door, and I won't know for I mean, God knows how long he's been standing there meowing. But like so, but he wasn't there. 
Anyways, mine has no, there's no form or rhyme or reason to it, so I'm not reading it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Absolutely disjointed and like, yeah. All right. Drugs. Yowing. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, anyways. All right. So let's move on to the next photo. This one is kind of old, you guys. Like, I think it's one of the first ones that Andy ever sent me. Um, so I think it's sort of, like, I wonder, we should probably have an anniversary show, even though I feel like Ooh, we years. The, the two and a half year anniversary, two and a, a third year anniversary. I think that the first fringe, which the first CPCL was part of that first fringe was in so we'd be like, we wouldn't be missing it by too much, but uh, but we could count from the time, the very first time that we broadcast with Mutiny as oh. the which would make it later, which would make it, if we did like June as our first anniversary show, it would be, make it a little closer to the real anniversary. Well, I bet Pam Benjamin would have that date right at her fingertips. Oh, somewhere I can find it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can look it up. Sorry, I was thinking about Gary. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't stirred Gary. Are you missing Gary? I, it's it's the was... only, it's the only, well, other than my relationships with you, uh, all on the Zoom. It's the, it's the most stable relationship I've had in a long time. We've never gotten oh, in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's best. You know, I don't know. Do you buy him like little snacks or like a little collar or something? I fed him honey the other day for a special. Instead of sugar. Ooh, yeah. Dad? We're talking about my sourdough starter. We're friends on Facebook now. Uh, and yeah. Not Gary. I, I, I'm making some mead and, you know, you put some <gasps> yeast in there. But I, I, haven't given the, I haven't given the yeast a name yet. So I don't know if you, if Pam, if you want to think up a name for the yeast, uh, <laughs> it's champagne yeast. So, um, you know, let me know. I, I no, will do my best called Gary and on the astro on the astrology website that I hang out at we have decided like Gary asteroid Gary actually like we've investigated it and usually dudes with mullets actually have like heavily aspected Gary asteroids like either they're like they're Mars or like it's you know what I mean like or like they have it actually figures in their charts so anyways like we should all look up our own gary I'll well my goodness as long as you don't call your yeast chad i think you're okay oh <laughs> uh, chad sounds like okay. a guy that would give you chlamydia all right share Ooh, speaking of chlamydia my goodness <laughs> all right so we'll do seven minutes again this time are you gonna tell it tell him she said that or do you want me to I think that he will take that as a huge, huge compliment. I will tell him. Yeah, that's true,
If you should ever leave me Life would still go on Believe me I was trying not to be too sexual, but um, it's been a lonely pandemic. <laughs> Gary is the man of your dreams. He is, I'm telling you. So who wants to go first? Okay, I'll, um, I'll have a go. Go. Okay. Wait, uh, okay. Uh, red lips, broken lips, broken promises, break my heart, my bleeding heart, torn asunder by the bloody words you spoke, falling lies, dies, dies. Our love is dead. Anybody else care to? 
have a uh, sensitive uh, and tender uh, poem here if you want to hear it. Yeah. It's called, How Do You Spell Chlamydia? <laughs> <laughs> the human mouth contains more bacteria than an STI clinic. Don't get me started on yeast and not the kind in French bread or French wine either. Are they eukaryotes or prokaryotes? How can you name a billion yeast strains? It's a virus. Philosophically, Ben said it. Oh. Tender. I have, a, <laughs> I have a joke about um, yeast that's, um, and I, I talk about bread dough and vegans, and if vegans eat bread, because you sort of enslave the yeast and make it alive and make it your friend and it and it works for you and it makes your bread rise and then you heat up your oven and you murder entire cultures. And people don't often get the joke. Like they are, they're like, that's a, then I say uh, bread is some Nazi shit. But they get that, but they don't get the, the joke about the, about yeast right, and cultures right. and that it's, you know, and there's, mil there's, there's all, I think a lot about yeast. And I think a lot about Gary and when I double him up and then I take half of him out and then I'm like, and then I kill him, but he's still alive. Nice little joke. I, I have. He's part of a I know. I, I think about it all the time, though, and I'm like, it's philosophically, I'm like, I'm keeping this buddy alive. And is he happy? You kill him and he still loves you. Torturing poor Gary. Exactly. I'm totally torturing him. It's, it's really maniacal, actually. <laughs> I just looked up where Asteroid Gary is right now, and it's direct. Like, Asteroid Gary is at 15 Aquarius, which is exactly on my son. So I don't know if I'm the one that's bringing in the fucking Gary and the fucking, like, all it energy, but just so you know. And Pam, that probably means that it's, like, that Gary is trining your son, because, like, I think your son is, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's like try anyways, whatever. Like, I think that it's trying my son. Like, but anyways, whatever. Like, no, I, hey, man, I'm totally down with astrology. I think it's uh, scintillating that the patterns in the sky affect and seem to be so right on, like Virgos, right? <laughs> I have a, I have a, a look up and he's on my son. Um, okay. Anybody else want to go next? I'll go. I don't know why. For some reason, it turned into a bit of a short story again instead of a poem. I don't know why they keep happening. Anyway. She leaves her calling card again. I kiss goodbye on the wall above his bed. Always smeared. Like vampire fangs. Like blood. A biting reminder that she was here. The only thing she leaves behind, besides him, of course, another one bites the dust. Okay, that so flows directly. So I just put, I'm calling it speaking of chlamydia. I don't know. I didn't watch what I said back then, and while I still don't, this time the repercussions the repercussions were something else. Look, that could be a lusty waterfall, but it's not. 
it's the beginning of a man throwing rocks at a window trying to wake up a girl who passed out after she asked him to come over. And it's the end of that man getting T-squared by drunk bridge and tunnel kids while on his motorcycle and dying. No one wants to hear about how I know he was also most likely on methadone. And that girl, she knew him for two weeks, and her widowdom has been a source of outpourings of sympathy. I dated him for nine months, and I am blackballed, even though I was a I was 2,000 miles away at the time, but I mentioned the methadone. So when you think about not watching your mouth, remember that sexy looks like tragedy most, if not all, of the time. <laughs> lusty Waterfall. Damn. That's the name of that, Lusty Waterfall. True story. I like uh, the line about okay. the methadone. Methadone, lusty methadone waterfalls. Methadone's not <laughs> fun, though, is it? It's not fun to take. Methadone is not bad, but it's like, it depends on whether or not you get off on opiates. Do you know oh, what I mean? Sure. Like, because some people don't really, like, some people don't. I don't really get off that much on opiates. I'm more of a benzo girl. But, like, it's like, it's not as, it's like, People sell their methadone to other people so they can get actual smack, but oh. they people who buy the methadone use the methadone. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, like, right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah, like it's kind of like a gate. I think, like, I have a friend who has really bad, like, hugely bad for like going on twenty years now, chronic back pain, and. At one point, she had a pain management specialist give her methadone, and she had she was like, "Okay, this is actually working, and I need to get off it because I don't want to be addicted to an opiate." Wow. And like so that because like it was working, so I don't understand. And like actually, like opiates don't really do that; don't really do anything bad to your body, like smoking or drinking. Like they just make it so that your body can't produce Const constipation. Well, it constipates you. That's true. Yeah, you're right. But it makes it so your body can't produce dopamine. And so then that's what the withdrawal is, is that your, your, your brain is like, wait a minute, I thought you were going to do this for me. Like, it just gets lazy and stops producing its own. Is dopamine the endorphin that... Uh... Is dopamine the endorphin? Yeah, the endorphin are the, are the, are the drug that uh, opioids... Opioid. Yeah, that's what opioids mimic, and it it stimulates what it stimulates. I don't think it's a gland, but it might be. It stimulates whatever it is that whatever gland or whatever produces dopamine in your brain. Uh, opioid the receptors, yeah. The receptors. Yeah, the opioid like over fucking stimulates it, so then it becomes lazy and un, and it doesn't work anymore because oh, yeah. the drug is producing the is is we're doing the work for it. So that's yeah. why. Like it's already like like you've blown your brain out a little bit, like yeah. so it takes a while for your body to like like I yeah I'm more of a benzo girl but yeah like but I don't and the reason that I know what methadone is like is because I dated this guy who died on his motorcycle and he took methadone and I took some because I try I wanted to try it and it was like it was kind of like taking a 
as far as I'm concerned, it was like kind of like taking a what are the other ones? Like Percocet or Vicodin? Right. It's kind of like that. Like, yeah, Percocet's yeah. one of the good ones. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of like that. And I wasn't that impressed. But I've never, I haven't been that impressed with opiates. Yeah, I don't, I don't general, like them either. And it's it's crazy know. to see people on the street that that's their whole life. And, and it's crazy. For me, I'm like, eh, it's just, it, it never tickled my fancy. Exactly. Like, I drank through it, so I just drank like, like, but, like, when I was a young, when I was young, I had my, a boyfriend of mine beat me up, and I just <gasps> drank through it. I was just like, fuck it. I don't even know. And, you know, me being a Keith Richards fan and a Janis Joplin fan, it was something I felt like I was gonna, I, like, morally had to do. <laughs> like, I had a bottle well, of I that. hope you're older than 27. <laughs> Was I older than 27? I might have actually been 27 at the time. Well, I hope uh, you're older than 27 now, at least. Well, obviously. Um, I can't tell. I Dude, I'm 50. What are you talking about? Uh. But yeah, no, I drank through it. I had a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I just fucking kept drinking through it. And I remember, like, he kind of started to get hooked. And I was like... What the fuck? Janice Joplin died for this? Like, I totally was just like, I was absolutely disgusted. I was I was irritated at both Janice and Keith Richards. Like, Keith Richards is still alive. Keith is still alive, but I was just sort of like, <laughs> what the fuck? This is stupid. Anyways, whatever. So, um, all right, on that note, <laughs> we have one more. This one's kind of funny. Maybe this will cheer us all up. Because it's morbid-ish, but like, or not cheer. Not like, because I don't feel like we're mor- we're morose today. Like we're just gonna do it. But anyways, here we go. Whimsical. You know, we decided on a song. Salute to so we selected the song from a young composer that has fast become one of Broadway's own To compare with beauty, imagination, living there. You can be free if you truly, if you want to be. Come on. Yeah, I want to thank you for this one. You made it happen. This is the one. Yes, it is when you sign on the dotted line, fellas. You know, it's been established in our society today that the most important signing in a man's life takes place when he signs his marriage license. Well, they've added something to that now. It's called the application for charge card to ensure that marriage license will hold up one sign. You know what I'm talking about, fellas? Charge card designed to keep one's pockets free of finance. You know, you know, sometimes, fellas, at the end of the month, if you're married and you want to check on your budget and see how you're doing at home, budget around the house, and you find something that looks a little weird, you said, darling, what is this? And she said, well, it was on sale. And I had my charge card, you know? 
But then from time to time, fellas, we'll fall victim to circumstance as well because we might be walking down the street, see a good-looking pair of shoes in the store window and say, hey, I think I'll go ahead and cop now and pay later, right? Take the charge card, go in and buy the shoes. And when the bill comes due at the end of the month, you want to kick yourself in the what's the name of that same pair of shoes, buddy. Thank you. All right. Hey. When do you say? When do you say? Work wiser whenever the moment is right for a great day. After the work is done, while you're still having fun, any time the right time to say. When you say work wiser, you have said it all. <laughs> all right, little pause for the call.
people say, let's do people this. Say your, people 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 say your, I liked that picture. I'll, I'll go. I like I like my I like my poem this time. There's a ghost in my apartment, a friendly apparition. He's never been handsy at night, and tells me the afterlife is a joke. I believe him. He pranks the old lady down the hall, and pretends he's Jesus. I hear her scream, "Hallelujah! He is risen!" at least once a week. Even my cats, even my cats like him. He says that's rare for cats and ghosts. I believe him. Yeah, a little bit more cheerful. Uh, yeah, I wrote a short story a couple of weeks ago about a woman like a relationship with a guy who um you know there's a movie about there's like a major that's that sorry guys i promise i haven't seen it <laughs> wow <laughs> is it the ghost in mrs muir no no it was like it was the ghost in mrs muir is like a This was like this was like a bodice. This was like based on like a bodice ripper, and she kept having sex with this like old aunt. They kept like showing her being like all and like and like writhing around. It was it was quite it was quite. Curious, but yeah. I can't remember the one called Truly Madly Beautiful. Uh, I don't know why I feel like that's Christian Slater. No, it's not Christian Slater. Uh, what's, what's, what's the guy who's in 
Alan Rickman and Juliet Stevenson. Alan, Alan Rickman is in it. Yeah. I, know some, I know someone that stays up in the cat's Mum, she said she's done to her. I was genuinely convinced. I quite often falls. Okay, I get in the chat. Um, 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 the haunting passion. Oh. <laughs> and actually, interestingly, Gerald McGrady is in it. She plays her husband. Her husband's like maybe a football player. Like gone a lot, and like they buy this fabulous potion for I guess like now it's kind of cut. I like I didn't read the thing. It's kind of coming back to me. Like I feel like and I could be wrong. I don't know. I feel like the ghost is an is like an old is a remake of a dead movie. But, but, I, but I swear to God, there were, there were like really soft core porn levels. But there was only one person in there. Like, ah, uh, because it's just Jane Seymour. <laughs> it's Jane Seymour, like, riding around in a night. Like, it was just. Not in 1983. So I was. I got, I got one, I got one. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Freshly sighted, I did sight it before. Is that a ghost hanging on your wall? Or are you Back to haunt you. Haunt you in the house, burn down the house, a good. Well, I love your little. Uh, oh, oh, it's an octopus. Is it an octopus? What Octo is it? So kittens. Ah! I That's... think it's the first one, so. <laughs> void, void cat. Friend make, my friend makes them, and I've stick, I, I, I've resisted the lure of the octo kitten for too long, and now I'm very, and not normally fluffy. This one is fluffy and sweet. Where did you get them on, like Amazon or something? No, no, my friend makes them. They're made out of recycled. Does she have like an Etsy shop or something? Yeah, we need to. We need I to. don't know, but I will ask her. Definitely. Oh, They're not I always this. They did. Because she makes them out of recycled fabrics, they're all different. Right. This one is a bit of a void kitty, so I decided. I have to do Mother's Day shopping on Etsy, so I will look. Uh, right. I and don't think she has, but I will send her a message. Anybody else want to go? Well, I have another. Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, John. No, no, go ahead, go. You, you spoke first. Okay, um, mine came out a bit quick. 
<laughs> the cute ghost on the wall in the ladies' room from that dive bar in Harlem. Smiles every time she sees it now, remembering that night. Her view of that ghost, from approving from the bathroom wall. She never saw the girl again, barely even remembers what she looks like. But she remembers her pierced tongue, and the jazz playing in the bar, and the ghost. Yeah, it's so weird. How it, like, totally, like... Okay, so, mine is called Burt Ramen Salad Day. And Burt Ramen was this place in Richmond, California, which is, like, sort of north of Oakland, that um, used to have, like, underground live music venue. And but also this kid lived there. His name was Mikey Ramen. He's, like, really cool. Um, but anyway, so he, he lived there, but then touring punk bands, like, you know, like, uh, like way underground punk bands. And when my blues band went on tour, he ended up playing at Ramen for one of our Bay Area shows. That was sort of like, was like our crowd. Those were our crowd. Really, really, really enjoyed my band. Was this Keep Sweet? Uh, yeah, it was Keep Sweet. Yeah. Like, we always were playing at Hazmat. Like for ramen, they were always really fun. Um. Okay. So this is called Burnt Ramen Salad Days. When where the Burnt Ramen Salad Days, where I fit into my corset and I dance to King Clarence with my bottle and my cloche hat, and all the crusties were on my side, but they wanted a step with me, even though Jeremy was so doped up he could barely say. This ghost watched me every time I peed in the boys' bathroom. <coughs> But kept me going that night. Every time I went to pee, at least there was someone who had just a wee smile, no bone to pick. You with Tyson with lollies? But yeah, that was my story. Any more? Okay, here's my here's my tender and sensitive. Uh... His uh, my sourdough starter is a junkie. Packets of yeast burgle my stereo, hawk my silverware at the pawn shop. You can find them at mess and gas, trying to score, nodding off in an alley littered with French prunes and dirty noodles, costing the city thousands in CPR. Drug courts diverted them to N.A., where they drink bad coffee, sitting on folding chairs in a church basement as Fleischmann. Red Star, made a let go. And clearly they had a lot to do with the, the picture. That's the second time I've heard that phrase this week, let go and let God. I've never was, heard uh, were you in a church basement? No, I was talking to a friend who was re re regaling me with tales of her rehab days. That's like an NA thing. Um, okay, so it is time to take a break because it's nine o'clock. So let's come back at nine ten, and then we will have our spotlight slut, Holly Jackson, speak for us from
Mutiny Radio listener. We're going to play some flat black plastic for another 10 minutes. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with Holly Johnson and uh, reading from her, reading new stuff. And that was really fun with that ekphrasis. I love that stuff. Um, some really interesting work came out today, and I'm, I'm real happy about listening to that from um, other artists all over the United States We're, and, and beyond, um, England and Scotland and all over the place. So CPCL, it's a lot of fun every week. Not every week, once a month now. Sorry, I'm a little out of it. I'm going to play some flat black plastic, enjoy that, and then we'll be right back. More about Blinn. And, oh, say, can you say, far away in Berlin, a musical urchin named Gretchen von Schwinn has a blue-footed, true-footed, trick-fingered, slick-fingered, six-fingered, six-string, tin-schwinn mandolin. This is Curtis Mayfield. Sit down and take a listen. This may be something that you're missing. I know your mind you want it funky, but you don't have to be no junkie. Get yourself together. Remember, Freddie's dead.
I'm Curtis, and I'm so glad that I've got my own, you know, so glad that I can see. I've got a natural hide. The man can't put no thing on me, and he can't put no thing on you either. Keep your nose clean. Don't be no junkie. Remember, Freddy's dead.
And we're back. Can I hear everybody? If, if somebody say something, so that I can. There we go. Hello. Yay, good. Yep. Yay, we're back. Hey, radio listening audience, we're back. Now, we would like to introduce our spotlight plus. Hey, Ms. Holly Jackson. Tell us about your book. Um, um okay. Holly. It's a book. Um, <laughs> it's called Banana and Salted Caramel. And um, no, it's not a recipe book, which is what everyone always seems to assume. Oh, really? Um, it's a collection of poetry and short stories by me. And um, yeah. How long were you writing it? Oh, God. Uh, uh, 20 years? Um, a long time. Uh, po- like, to be fair, there's poems in there that I wrote when I was a teenager. It's it's my first collection, so it's pretty eclectic. It's literally just, I just sort of had enough saved on my computer that I, could, I figured I could probably get away with putting it in a collection, so I did. And I sort of edited it a little bit and worked with it a little bit for, for about a year um, or so, like maybe over a year. Um, until I felt like it was sort of ready, and then yeah, and sort of you know figured that out, and then I sent it, sent the um, sort of manuscript as it were to uh, a few publishers, and one of them came back and said yes. So yeah, and the the whole process, like from the point of of get of like having it accepted by publishers to it actually coming out, has taken about two and a half years. So it feels it feels kind of old to me now not like yeah it just I I feel like like a lot of the poems in there are no longer relevant to my life but it it is I suppose a journey because there's literally there's poems that I've written that I wrote when I was a teenager like the first poem I ever wrote is in here um which is about a boy that I had a crush on and um and yeah, just all sorts of different things, and um, a lot about um, going through infertility and, and things like that. And then after my daughter came along, and a bit, bit of everything really, all sorts of things. So yeah, it's um, it's a a mix of all random stuff about me, I suppose. Great. Cool. So do you have stuff that you want to share? Uh, okay. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, I'll start off with one of my favourite of my own poems that I always read at any gig that I do, because I, I like it a lot. Um, and it's called What I Learned from Shakespeare. My formative years were spent in the company of many, but none so influential as the bard. At school, I gave Shylock his pound of flesh and became complicit in Viola's deception. While others groaned upon hearing the news, inside I celebrated at the thought of more time spent with the books in the running brook. Before I turned a teen, my home became the church, the building named for Shakespeare, but psalms rather than sonnets were what was spoken here. We prayed and sang and told old tales and laughed. The elders taught me much, Iago's all, summarised by sin, others by virtue fall. From the judgement that filled those walls, I learned to be respectful, quiet, and not to argue, or to think. I learned that I was steeped in sin. I learned to feel guilt for things I couldn't control, and to wear jumpers in the summer, as my body would cause others to fall. Sermons in the stones, and the good in not quite everything. At fifteen, I went to work at the Shakespeare Inn on Highgate. Years spent here, where the wine of life was drawn, taught me many things about life and love and cleaning rooms. Time spent with fairies and young lovers. Helena was my favourite, a twin room, smaller and only single beds to make. So many people came and went, four owners, three chefs, two managers, and countless others through the doors. From these I learned good and ill, pain of loss, joy of gain, and the bitterness of compromise. But its eternal summer shall not fade, and neither will the friends I made. Mike, always hidden behind heavy wood and dark ale, or in the flat adjacent, living his soap opera. He and a different woman each, each week made the beast with two backs, once with my best friend, while I pretended not to care. Good Lord, these, what fools these mortals be. Of all I learned whilst working within its immortal walls, None so vital as this. To thine own self be true, and don't piss off the people who serve the food. I um, I went back, thank you. <laughs> I went back to uh, the pub that I used to work in, the Shakespeare, um, in my hometown of Kendall, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, over Easter, and read that poem. And, uh, yeah, it was quite funny being there. And also my best friend who's mentioned in the poem was there. <laughs> that was quite amusing. She didn't take too kindly to it, I'll be honest. No way, it caused some yeah. trouble. No, no, she knew about it already because when I when I wrote the poem, I showed her the poem and okay. then when I submitted it to publishers, I asked her if, if I had her permission and she said yes. And that's why. Okay. Um, it's one of those silly things, you know, when you're a teenager and you're, yeah. you're, you're out of a night and your friend randomly hooks up with someone and kind of a bit jealous because you kind of like him and for like you know. right um but yeah no it was just funny uh so the next one i'm going to read is called blowholes a silly little one that i threw in there watching our planet on netflix feeling grateful for a glimpse into a world i might otherwise never see watching in awe 
as the majesty of a mother blue whale and her calf, filmed from above by a drone. Amazing modern technology, bringing us something truly beautiful for once. The sun sparkles off the clear blue ocean. The whales, diving and resurfacing, their huge tail fins rising and falling from the surface of the glistening sea. The tiny rainbows dancing in the water sprays. And the way the detail of the blowholes reminds me of a large vulva. Thank you. If you um if you buy the book, by the way. Sorry? I did not see that coming, man. Yeah, I know, I like it that way. <laughs> I think it's got a good little punchline at the end there. Yeah. Um yeah, if you happen to buy the book and I'll put a link in the chat, um the the last word in the poem, um, and I blame years of patriarchal ignorance and bad editing, is vagina. And it shouldn't be, it should be vulva. So if you buy the book, please do what I did. And pull out the word vagina and write the word vulva instead. Wait, so that's crazy. Like, did they replace it on you without? No, like... no. I when I first wrote the poem, um, I wrote I mistakenly wrote the word vagina because okay. ignorance, and okay. then obviously learn better. And by that point, the book was already submitted to publishers, and there was nothing I could do about it. So okay. now every time I I read the poem, I have to tell people, please go to page 37 of the book, cross out the word vagina, and write the word vulva, thank you very much, like a teacher who's, like, editing an old textbook or something. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. Like, just, like I'm looking for the right emoji to, to share about this, but I don't think they have any. <laughs> there should be a vulva emoji. <gasps> that needs to be a campaign. Well, like, I would assume because eggplant is thick, right? Yeah, at least some sort of simile. Like, I, I, think, I don't know. Is peach, I believe. Peach I've got is the like bum. Here. Whenever is, I'm trying to say anything about someone's bum, I always put a peach emoji. Right, so peach goes with ass. So yeah. wonder cake. Uh, I, I would. Uh, cake. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when I'm trying to say pussy online, I usually just put a cat emoji. If I'm trying to be coy, most of the time I'll just say pussy. Yeah, I don't. I... Yeah, no, there's no taco. <laughs> That's a good point. Taco will be perfect. Oh, yeah, John, okay. I don't there think donut quite works. <laughs> what? No, it's not foldy enough. No. <laughs> just saying. Oh, my word. I love you guys. I miss coming here. <laughs> What is that thing? Tongue, Erin. Tongue? Oh my god, that's so random. <laughs> such a, I like, I'm so lame. Like, I'm, I'm such an old lady. Like, I don't know what's happening. It's like there's an R or like, yeah, like, I would never think that was a tongue. Oh, yeah, no, I see that. <laughs> that works. Oh my god. Like, depending that, on the context. That's some sort of mollusk. Like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> oh, honey, it's always about the content. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. 
friends from uni him and i act, at one point back a couple years ago got into this whole thing on like on whatsapp where we literally only communicated via emoji and gif like we didn't know there was no language and my friend Nathaniel was like so what are you guys like high teenage like high 14 year olds <laughs> or like what the fuck when Andy and I hadn't known each other very long and we were chatting on instant messenger we used to do that quite a lot just just as a laugh just try and have a whole conversation using just emojis it was funny when they first brought out the food ones we just either chat with a friend and we just used to have like a food fight talking emojis <laughs> Because we could, you know, because they were there. Right? <laughs> but, <laughs> Here's Kate. Anyways, okay, continue, Holly. But like, uh, so I'm really sorry to bring the mood down, yeah. but the next poem on my list is a really sad one. Um, <laughs> then after that one, it's another funny one. Okay. okay. Um. So yeah, I just I'm including this one. Um. Trigger warning for sort of um infertility and. Um, and I just, I include it because um, I think that it's been um, talked about. Yeah, and also. And it's called Bloom. An ugly flower sits here. An ugly, useless, barren bloom. Untouched by nature, separate from its surrounding beauty. Next to the still water, though surface be calm. All flowing, life-giving purity rages below. Where trout and salmon play, protecting their young from bigger fish and baited hooks. Sit brambles, full of fruitful buds, soon to be plump and ripe, to nourish beast and bird. Thistle, foxglove, coltsfoot and flax, made fertile by butterfly and bee. Dancing together in the air, under sweeping, weeping willow trees. Even flies moving like stop-motion animation on stumps of trees, feed on waste and spread disease. Still they breed in thousands, their purpose instinctive and clear. Nettles spring from thickets, scratch and scratch their prey. But even plants whose acid leaves sting, still flower and spread their seed amongst the meadow. In amongst the fecund nature sits this lonely, ugly flower, pollen-free, no petals bloom, no colour, all grey, barren, dusty plant. Once young, filled with promise and life, giving joy and beauty. Now stale and sterile, an intruder in nature's holy design. Jealously it sits, fallaciously exists. No purpose, only wasted potential, wasted body, wasted life. Nearby, oak trees emerge from soft earth. Roots like steps reach the fresh stream, flowing through ivy-carpeted glades. The warm afternoon sun shines down in patches through light green leaves. A young holly tree grows, leaves still soft, not yet hardened by time and painful to touch. So, thank you. I wrote that um, I was out for a walk in the countryside um so yeah it basically using the countryside as a metaphor for how shitty i was feeling about my own fertility struggles but then my daughter came along and she loved them so yeah all ended happily in the end but um yeah i think 
stuff like that is something that a lot of people go through and they don't really discuss it. So yeah, it's still sort of a taboo. But... Um, my note, my post-it note, <laughs> what one I'm reading it. Next one um, is a poem that I wrote about my um, ex-husband's grandma, who was awesome. She was like in the 90s and hilariously funny and just brilliant. Um, so much so that we uh, we named our daughter after her. Um, and it's called Mrs. Cutting. My husband's grandmother. 96 on her last birthday. Her face beautiful with age. A line for every laugh, smile, tear. The face of a life well lived. She tells the best stories about growing up in the North and her life during the war. Half a Guinness every day. Says it was for the iron. Teaching me how to knit with wry wit and a hit every time I drop a stitch. She makes the best chocolate cake. My husband's childhood favourite, but won't give up the recipe. Enjoys animal documentaries, feeds the birds from her windowsill. On our last visit, she told a story about a childhood neighbour whose mother made her living on her back and was the only one in the village with a fur coat. And no knickers, presumably. Hilarious. Uh, did she get in trouble for like um being a judgmental old biddy? No, never. <laughs> she everybody loved her too much. <laughs> cool, that's awesome. That's a yeah, really no, she, good trick to pull off, man. Like in the yeah, box. yeah. She was one of those women who could get away with saying anything, and she did all the time. She had no filter. into that a little bit um so i'm from not originally but i live in county durham and um there's a lot of um sort of mining old mining communities um around here and my um grandmother-in-law uh, her husband was a miner and she grew on her dad and she grew up uh, in a mining village and um so a lot of the history around here is all to do with mining and um also, I'm reading this tonight because it's a little bit of, um, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, a crisis, uh, because I wrote it after I went to a photography exhibition by a local photographer um, called Keith Patterson, and um, a lot of his photography was during the 80s, during the miners' strikes and what have you. So um, I wrote this uh, based on a photograph uh, of his from um, 1984 called um, Easington. And if I can, can I share my screen or is that just a host thing? Because I have the picture that I used. Um, I'm unmute myself. I will make you co-host and then you can share your screen. There you go. Cool. Awesome. How do, I'm so bad for technology. How do I share the screen? On the bottom of your Zoom boxy thing, 
There'll be like a green box that says like green. Aha. Yes. Did you see it? Yes. Awesome. Excellent. Right. Cool. Can everyone see my screen? It's not on it yet. Ah, uh, where am I? Um, the green. So yes. So Great. this is the picture um that I wrote the short story. Well, more like flash fiction, really. Um, about. It's called Easington, August 1984, and the short story is called Ascot Creek. She looked down from the window. The net curtain pulled behind her. All she could see of them from this angle was the tops of their helmets. A river of shiny plastic, hard and black. Couldn't see their faces. See the contempt in their eyes. But she could feel it. In the stillness. In the air as they stood, arms folded, waiting for the strikers to arrive. The babe in her arms gurgled and whined. She bounced him on her hip as she watched, trapped. Trapped by red brick walls and single glazed windows. Trapped by sex and circumstance. Trapped by the past and the present, and trapped by the future. But most of all, trapped by the hundred or so men stood just outside her front door. The police, in their smart four-buttoned blazers and their hard black helmets and transparent visors. Their oppressive occupation had lasted for weeks now, with no signs of abating. Was it so wrong to want a better life for your family? In this day, in this age, in this free country, was it so wrong to want a good life and fair pay and a home to grow old in? They were soldiers, fighting a war on the side of goodness and right, of pride and honour. They would keep fighting, no matter how hard the batons or how empty their stomachs. They would not give up. They would not give in. Thank you. Yay. I just needed to pick up my post-it note with my set list on it because it's fallen on the floor. Thank you. Uh, right. Um. So the next one is called "Life and Death Summed Up in Haiku," and it, I don't think it needs much explanation. It's pretty self-explanatory. I like to walk through graveyards. Strolling happily amongst the peaceful dead, wondering about lives once lived. Some whole families resting in one place, departed decades apart, reunited in kind death. Others over a century past, entirely forgotten, but for now, visited by this odd stranger, reading epitaphs, a few short lines meant to sum up a whole life. History etched in stone saying so much more than its mere words, like a haiku. I wonder about you, your years condensed on this stone. What did you look like? Did you enjoy the taste of marmite, the smell of fresh-cut grass? Did you just do the best you could? Were you happy? I wonder if 100 years from now, 
some odd stranger will visit me and wonder, care, read my death haiku. H. Jackson lies here. She enjoyed indie music, hated Marmite, lived. Okay, Holly, do you got one <laughs> more left? Yes, I have exactly one more left. <laughs> um, right and uh, it is um, just an extract from the title piece. Uh, so the book is called, oh, I need to put a, um, hi, Leslie, by the way. Um, I need to put a link in the chat, uh, which I will do. But the book is called Banana and Salted Caramel. And um. I don't know if anyone remembers Milkshake Gate in Newcastle a few years ago. Um, Nigel Farage visited Newcastle and some awesome person in the crowd decided to throw a milkshake at him. Um, for those of you American people who may not know, Nigel Farage is a British right-wing politician and hate monger and overall dickhead. Um, so yeah, some awesome person in Newcastle decided that they were going to throw their milkshake at him. And I read, um, it was a banana and salted caramel milkshake, by the way. And I read um, an online article a couple of days later um, suggesting that milkshakes could be banned at public events uh, because they could be seen as offensive weapons, <coughs> which I thought was ridiculous and, yeah, really stupid. So I wrote this um, short story that's basically set in a not-too-distant sort of right-wing, fascist, future Britain sort of future, um, hopefully one that is not going to come to pass, but will hopefully must go with the current climate. But yeah, anyway, so this is um, an extract from that. Dude sat on the train, her hood up, leaning forward and staring straight ahead. She could feel eyes on her all the time, from the armed guards on the platforms, from the cameras, even from the posters displayed inside the train carriage. They were everywhere nowadays, shadowed figures of foreign-looking faces, usually Middle Eastern, sometimes black or Indian, sometimes just eyes behind burkas, always with a vaguely sinister warning underneath. White Britons outnumbered in ten years, or the swarm on our streets. Jude could remember when she was young, when they were just people, ordinary people, just going about their ordinary lives. Now they were dangerous. They were swarming and taking over. But perhaps she was misremembering because of her age and perspective. Perhaps it had always been this way. Jude found herself thinking about her mother. Once, when she had been around six, they'd been on the bus. Jude couldn't remember where or why, where to or why. A group of four teenage boys had begun to catcall a woman in a niqab. They called her, a word I won't say, and letterbox, and asked her what she was hiding under there. Jude could still remember the look on her mother's face. She'd never seen anything quite like it before, and she never saw it again. It was like sadness, disgust, and pure fury all in one. She looked at Jude and said in a voice like a stone, Don't move. Then she had stood up, and holding onto the seat bar for support, positioned herself between the Muslim woman and the group of boys. Still with the same look on her face, she'd called to the driver that a group of teenagers were harassing another passenger, and she still didn't move, even as the young men walked straight past her to leave the bus. Then she went and sat down next to the woman, 
They were too far for Jude to hear what was being said, but she saw her mother put an arm around the woman's shoulders. After a few minutes, her mother had returned and sat back down next to her. <coughs> Are you okay? She'd asked. Jude had nodded. Why did they do that? She asked after a few minutes of trying to comprehend the situation. Her mother sighed. I don't know, baby. Some people are just... She trailed off. Then she seemed to gather strength. She sat up, turned and looked at her daughter. She took her by the shoulders, and looking intently in her eyes, she said, Hello? Um, sorry, I've lost my place. Uh, then she seemed to gather strength. She sat up, turned and took her daughter by the shoulders. Looking her intensely in the eye, she said, Some people are nasty, Judith. They're mean and they're nasty. Because they've been taught the wrong thing, or because they're unhappy, or just because they enjoy being mean and nasty. Unfortunately, there are a lot of mean and nasty people out there. And we notice them because they're usually shouting the loudest, or working in politics. But there's always more good people, Judith. There are always more good people in the world than the bad ones. We just have to make sure we're one of the good ones. So um, all of the quotes there that were under the posters um, on the train carriage were actual headlines from um, right-wing British newspapers in the last, not all that long, two all years. Right. <sighs> All right, well, spotlight spot for me, Holly, and congratulations on the publishing. Sounds like that was a slog. But yeah, yeah, it was. It was a long time and and a lot of work, but yeah, it was good. And yeah, why not? Done. Oh, so you did. You put links in the. I did. I put the link um to the the book um in the chat. All right, so now we open it up to regular CPCL open micness. Open realness, babies. Um, anybody want to go? I have new shit. I don't know if anybody else has new shit, but I got new shit. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. If I get a fine, don't get a good. I don't mind going first. Funny that you're speaking about last lines and going to publishers when and when my book came out, my publisher says to me, before it came out, she says, Hey, do you mind if we do a little tweak, you know, here and there or whatever? And I went, yeah, not at all. You know, you know, if you think fits. And I went uh, a night in uh in Aberdeen at the real live on stage night and I'm reading from the book from this poem. And the last line was missing. She deleted the last line because she thought it worked better without it. And I and I knew it with the last line in it, you know, which when I do read it now, I read it with the last line in it, like, but uh, it was really confusing. So I actually never read it when she gave it to me the back around the publisher. So anyway, um, this one I wrote last month during uh, National Poetry Month, and the prompt for that was fire. And over the past little while, just for some strange reason, I've been writing a lot of angry kind of poems, politically wise. This one's called Fire. Flames red creeping up, catching up, burning up, and 
all starts with a spark, a small red glow in the ashes of yesterday. Where is that tiny yet important gleam today, the one that hides in the dead embers, the one we need in this cold-hearted time, needed to inflame the world's complacency, need to make the embers blaze, burst into glorious roaring reds and yellows, blues and greens. The revolution needs to be heard and seen. Torches held high, your feet raised to pick out the uncaring, selfish, greedy oligarchs, attention bottom feeding bleeders, misogynistic stealers of lives and souls. Turn up the heat for those who want to leave us cold. We were starving young and old, turning away the weak, sick, the lonely, destitute, the homeless, helpless, wailing, sailing away from death and bombs. Homes, work, schools, all gone. Rich get riches thrown their way and all that does is fan fam the flames of despair. They just don't. Poor get their hope taking away, chipping at their lives and hearts and leaving them burnt out, washed out, shattered. So today, cut out the matches, crumple up the paper, set the kindling and the wood, strike the match, light the flame, burn down the society that refuses to take the blame for all the shame they bring upon the world, for all the for all the lies and hypocrisy, falsity and disdain they happily bring upon us all, all sitting on their self-made thrones, and rocket ships going into space. But if they don't like this place, they have the power to make it better for us. Instead, they crawl under their rocks and hide. It's time we smoke them out and burn their temples of self down. Uh, this uh, next one, this was, yeah, this one's a prompt as well, and the prompt was limb, and this one's pretty much the same as the last one. If I was to go in a limb and say the world is truly fucked, with some countries more fucked than others, where caring is less for the poor and depressed, and politicians don't seem to bother, with costs going through the roof, and more folk down in the luck, while many don't have a leg to stand on, eating our food, the choice is not good. Others can barely hang on. Westminster doesn't care. They seemingly are corrupt. While we are living off handouts on the cusp of despair, but they don't care. They drain us every month. While stuck in this limbo, those we mistrust continually want us to linger on the edge of no hope. But to these bunch of dopes, I'm just going to give them the finger. Thank you. Rabble rousing there, Finn. Anybody else want to go before I do new shit? I'd like to go at some point, but I can wait. You have new shit, Beth? You want to go? Oh. Someone wants to go before me while I find my file because I'm struggling to read it out for a long time. 
Leslie, why don't you go? Because I would have to. I wouldn't have to share my screen. Okay, is that cool? That's fine with me. We can all even take turns. Like we could just do a little. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm gonna do edge. It comes to this, the end of something, and if you're lucky, the beginning of another. This wide ocean of the, all the possibilities or nothing, and pause. If you have any sense, you either lock yourself in a room, pull the covers over your head, and in the tent made there, the not now cloistered space, which allows just enough room to breathe, to sob, to walk, or not. Because we do not know how it will go, we sob for our innocence, realizing it is there, the fluttering, frightened bird unsettled by the too much that finds its way to us and takes nest in our messy existence, believing the boundaries will hold. Will hold. The knowledge we hope is there, shelter when needed. We are soft when we might be soft or not. It's just that we know the wind will blow and scatter our protected self to the wind or at the juncture of realization unthawing to re-enter our existence and fully freely being and body and take form again. We walk the well-trodden -tro path or wild as we are, the other path that leads us there to the sea and at the edge, we look. That's it. Ready to go back? Well, I don't know what anybody else does if you do those that I follow in the prompts if I don't like what I've seen in one of so um, I recommend anybody who is on YouTube listen to to listen to uh, Patrick Patrick Widdis's podcast they had thirty poets or thirty prompts. Okay, so um, this is prompt by uh, my friend Pete Goodrum actually, who's a Norwich prompt was to write a poem about home. I come to you worn out, battered and bruised, wait for your Show me my scars in larger ones and let me figure out how to live again. The same, different. The whole world away. Like me, show me all the ways back. Voice the things I've struggled with so that I push up to. Fist raised, brain on fire, dance to the edge of daylight for the sake of sunlight. Words unrelenting by any means of the translation. For late nights and wee small hours application, try sleeping in books so the words work epidermally. Patch to soothe cravings and in the evenings, assume a relaxed pose in a chair to take it in. For lasting oral relief, try headphones. The hangover is holy, above all so beautiful you will simply care. Through the position, your sickness, your scars, the places that won't mend, and he will remind you first to heal yourself. Wrap places in paper, bandage yourself with wide words, anthology, collection, pamphlet, 
until you realise your own words are what's dancing on you. The mornings will be seen in the afterglow <laughs> with aftershocks. Mornings are for sitting words out, not stopping. You don't need an appointment. This office handles real things. Dr. Poetry is in. He will see you now. <laughs> That's like a whole fucking concept. <coughs> like a whole book concept. I know, yeah. I kind of, it was really odd because I sort of saw it. Like, oh yeah, now I know what. Okay, I get it. <laughs> and I, I was in the middle of doing something else and I literally had to stop, sit down at the kitchen table, write the poem. Right. And I forgot, I came downstairs to get a towel, my, a hair towel off the radiator. Um, forgot, wrote the poem, forgot the towel, had to come back. Uh -huh. <laughs> I did a workshop on that sort of style of like um, instruction manual kind of poetry. I think it's lovely and I love that. Bandage yourself in wide words. I thought that was beautiful. I did, um, we did a thing in Write Club last year. It's actually my piece in the Fire Understands Ology, um, Write Instructions for Something Unbuildable. And I wrote instructions for how to grow a laugh. Oh, <laughs> and it turned into something utterly ridiculous. But, um, I just had this idea that you talk about, so I travel with Ken quite a bit often. And um, he's an actor. He talks about Dr. Theatre. You get up, you perform, you feel better. And I was like, I really like that idea, but I like the idea of like Dr. Poetry. And I often say, I'll say, hey, you know, Deborah, are you all right? And I'll be like, yeah, no worries, Dr. Poetry. And she's doing any work. So I decided to kind of embody that and put it into a piece. Pam, before you have to go, do you have anything? want to do because there's eight minutes before you have to go. All right, cool. All right, look, I'm going to do my little. Might have been enough. All right. Open. Open. Looks really weird. Oh, here we go. Except for that's not really. Okay, so we're gonna go back up. So I have a new opening poem for the rock opera. Tell me what you guys think of this as the opening piece. <clears throat> Called "It Always Starts with Dream" and. Um, this picture will be replaced with a photo of me in the same pose, like Louise is going to take. So I'm going to like totally like fucking fuck up my hand with my guitar and like kind of do the same shape do thing. Because <laughs> like there's going to like, I mean, no, but like as if Pete Townsend's ever going to find out that I use this photo, but it, <laughs> there could be copyright issues anyways. So it always starts with the dream. Sleep dreams slip away like an acquaintance dying. You miss them, but only due to their imagined potential. The songs I wrote all came to me in dreams. It's all oh so Stevie, I know. 
but they per they permeated as incense smoke. And I knew I needed to remember the words, the beat, the melody, but I couldn't get the pen. I get I couldn't get to the pen and paper fast enough. So those songs are truly unsatisfactory, disappointing constructions of a thing more beautiful than what I imagined or than what I ma managed to wrangle back to the corporeal the corporeal plane. The art dreams become deaths we've been lamenting forever. Language translates the dream into an idea, then a thought, and it's never, ever as good. Language destroys almost everything before it can leave your body. Then there's the work in which you scramble, helpless, as the dream dies further as you force it to manifest. Those of us with visions are apparently incapable of resisting. So we fly, we live the rhythmic burn, and we damn ourselves for what we know is a failure. But we get up and do it again. We are Pete Townsend's with blood dripping down our hands and forearms from fingertips, shredded by guitar strings, near tears, but we are never going to stop. That's like the potential new opening to that. Then wait, hold on, I gotta let the cat in. Okay. Uh, then I have another one. Throw a hit stick out the window and hit the right guitar player. Um, uh, weed, whites, and wine. Outlaw country band needs lead git. Seeking the love child of Waylon Jennings and Mick Taylor with a rockabilly swing. We do originals and covers ranging from Wanda Jackson and Merle Haggard to Bonnie Raitt. Textures with harmonies and a ballsy blues chick singer must drink whiskey. The devil makes you do it the first time. He looked like a demon had mated with a Hare Krishna. Fu Manchu beard, a look. Oh, wait, I should stop sharing my screen. Sorry, you guys. Stop share. There we go. Um. Yeah, Fu Manchu beard, a look not yet adopted by the thrash crowd, and a Chicago Blackhawks jersey, oily Birkenstocks, and sweatpants that only came down to his shins. No socks, right. His tan resembled the sheen of a home of homeless, the homeless dirt a tweaker gets, and that's just Fresno all over. It might have been a flying V he carried with the oversized amp that always comes with one of those things. The room was already buzzing. We were all, well, we all were, what with Thomas's perpetually stocked Jim Beam bar. I don't remember anything but a pick scraping down the E string to start. He jumped right in with the metal hillbilly shtick, raw and exuberant, he jammed. We were to learn that this is how this shit plays. You know, from the first note, we knew from the first note, Owen Goyle had driven five hours from Fresno, ready to growl. Pent-up strength sprang from his crunched cords, plugged directly into his amp like an alien miniature Ted Nugent. And there we were with our sound. We didn't need to, but we looked around, guy nodding at each other, and pushed that Waylon cover over the edge. Oh, Black Rose, the devil made me do it the first time, the second time, the second time we did it on our own, the band was home.
so that's more oh wait sorry it's gonna play again and i don't know why but yeah so those are like that's like how another more a plot point filled in where we find the guitar like our first that's my new shit thanks for listening <laughs> i have three for you do right uh, on do you have uh, animal crackers in the uk Animal crackers. I don't know they're like these biscuits are. They're like these biscuits. Cookies and biscuits that are shaped like lions and bears. Yeah, and they've got chocolate on one side. We we used to, but I don't think we called them that. We called them something else. Oh, okay. Well, here's a new product uh, from the makers of animal crackers called invasive species crackers. After arriving in a freighter's ballast, they crowd ginger snaps and animal crackers off grocery store shelves. Burmese python cookies drop from tree limbs onto elfin bakers and wallow them whole. Killer bees send the cost of honey through the ozone layer. High fructose corn syrup could substitute if kudzu didn't demand protection money because it would be a shame if Iowa got mine. On opening the box, an Asian carp slapped to the face, leaves the can 